All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, coaches, 8020 Baseball community. Great to be here with you this week. If you didn't catch it last week, I shared a mistake I made. I gave a specific example of a mistake I made with my own kid recently that backfired, and it's something that we need to avoid as coaches, as parents, as best as possible or as often as we can, and with most kids. We talked about optimizing the long game of youth baseball So kids don't end up in Quitsville because nothing good happens when kids move to Quitsville. And I also mentioned in last week's episode, I have an interview for all of you with Mike Hofius. Mike played at Long Beach State for four seasons. He played at Lakewood High School and was part of a little league in Lakewood that was known throughout Southern California as a very well-run little league community. And he's got two kids and he's going through what a lot of us are going through as a parent on the parenting side and he gives private hitting lessons so i thought his information on that would be of interest to most of you that interview part one is coming here in just a minute but before we get there i have a article that i want to hit on and the article is titled nine ways to become the most valuable parent on your kids team the article is written by jamie Bachelor, J-A-M-Y, hope I'm saying that right, Bachelor, B-E-C-H-L-E-R, and it can be found at jamiebetchler.com. Highly recommend reading this article, super helpful for coaches and parents, both. For coaches, it's a great blueprint to use with your team's parents, because if the team's parents, if the parents of the players on your team go south or go rogue, that's going to be hard to bounce back from. That's going to be hard to overcome. Now, I am obviously not going to read the entire article. You can go check it out. And second, it's not my article, but I do want to give it a shout out and talk about a few of the key points that we can get from this article. So again, the article is titled Nine Ways to Become the Most Valuable Parent on Your Kid's Team. Or from a coaching perspective, if we are coaching, and most of us are coaching a team or a lot of us are coaching our own team, you can look at this as nine ways our team's parents can be helpful for our kids, for our players. Number one, you don't even have to get into this list very far before you get just a massive gold nugget of wisdom here. Number one, stop comparing. And it quotes Teddy Roosevelt saying, quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Essentially what the paragraph here is saying about number one, stop comparing, is when we find ourselves assessing or giving feedback to our players, to our kids, I know I'm guilty of this. We use other kids, other players as an anchor to our feedback. We compare our kid, even sometimes when we don't know it, it's very common. And I don't think it's something that many of us are going to eliminate, but if we can reduce the amount that we compare our kids, our players to other kids, This goes back a year or two ago in an episode when I mentioned a coach that I used to coach with would say often something to this effect. Well, Johnny's our best pitcher, or Joey is our best hitter, or I'm going to give the ball to Tommy at the end of the game because he's the player out of all of you here that I trust the most on the mound at the end of the game. It was a very good coach that said this, but it was obvious looking at the players, looking at their faces, 
when their coach was saying that they weren't as good as so-and-so. The comparison is not good in a lot of ways. Now, that's one example of how it backfires, in my opinion, with just building rapport with players. Don't use the terms, this is our best player, this is our best hitter. This, you don't need to get into that. Now, in this article, it talks about parents comparing their kids to other players, to other kids. Each kid, each player is inherently different. And there's not much good that can come out of comparing or comparisons. I don't think it's a bad idea from a parent's perspective, from a coaching perspective, to use comparisons as feedback for ourselves, but not to discuss with our kids. I think getting feedback footage definitely shouldn't be the main message to our kids. Now, you might be saying, well, when would comparing be useful as feedback? Well, let's say you have a player that doesn't stand out one way or another on defense, arm strength, running ability, catching the ball, but they noticeably hit the ball much weaker than everybody else or make contact a lot less than everybody else. This is good to use as feedback to say, okay, something doesn't quite line up here or this doesn't line up with the average ability or the typical ability for this level. Again, throw out the outliers on both ends, but say the average kid is hitting the ball a certain amount or making a certain amount of contact and your kid or players hitting a lot worse, making a lot less contact or not hitting the ball hard compared to the average player. I wouldn't discuss it necessarily. In terms of comparing, I wouldn't say, hey, Johnny, if you're talking to your kid, hey, Johnny, you know, you're not hitting the ball like the rest of the players. You're not doing it like the rest of them. I would just use it as feedback telling you that that's an area that probably needs some work. That probably needs a little extra attention insofar as it's a big needle mover, such as hitting. So I think comparison is good as feedback for parents so then we can maybe allocate or kind of guide or direct our kids down a path that can increase the focus or that will increase the focus on some of those weaknesses. Definitely if those weaknesses, when compared to the rest of the kids at that level, is substantially different than the average or worse than the average, I think it's good to use that. But other than that, our messaging should not be rooted in comparison. So number one, stop comparing. Again, this is jamiebetchler.com, an article over there titled Nine Ways to Become the Most Valuable Parent on Your Kid's Team. All right, I'm going to skip down to number eight. All of these are great and all of these are useful, but I wanted to pick three that stood out as areas that might get overlooked more than the others. For example, number three is be positive. Number five is emphasize responsibility. Number six is be supportive. Number seven, value kids. I think if you've been listening to this podcast, you're pretty aligned with those already. But there were a few that I thought that we can likely use or need to use more often than we are currently. And number eight, be low maintenance. Be low maintenance. Now, this is a message I think the school system needs to start pushing out there from a young age. Be low maintenance. Notice how it doesn't say be no maintenance, require no maintenance, because we do want kids to ask questions. We do want kids to speak up when they need help. We don't want kids to be afraid to ask questions or seek help and support. But the default should be be low maintenance. I remember years ago when I went in for my first job interview, I was talking to my old man a couple days before the job interview, and he gave me a couple tips. And one of them was centered around being low maintenance. He said, make sure that that potential boss that's hiring you as an employee understands clearly that you will not make their job harder, but easier. He said that is music to the ears, potential bosses or potential managers, etc. 
We want to be low maintenance. We want our parents to be low maintenance. And this is a message, again, I think should be spread throughout from a younger age, but let's be low maintenance. Parents, help the team, add to the team, but be low maintenance and only speak up when it's urgent. Only speak up when it's extremely necessary. And outside of a health emergency or urgency regarding an injury or something of that sort or safety concern, I'd sleep on it for a day or two. In fact, that same coach that I mentioned earlier about comparing players often when talking to the team, when addressing the entire team, did an excellent job, I think, with this rule that if parents had an issue about something that happened in a game, whatever, anything outside of an injury concern or health concern, he had a 24-hour required grace period before they could call or email. 24 hours. So they couldn't even email or call the next morning. Well, they could. He wouldn't respond. He required 24 hours from the end of the game. So the games typically got done at about 5.30, 3 o'clock start, 3.15 start, done about 5.30, 5.45. And he said implementing that one strategy made a huge difference on the amount of emails and complaints and text messages that he received. So be low maintenance. We want our parents to be low maintenance. And number nine on this really well put together list of how parents can be better for the youth sports community. Number nine, start now. Don't wait. Stop yelling at officials now. Stop complaining about the coaches now. Don't wait. Start showing the coaches gratitude those of you that have your kid playing for another coach, start right now. Show the gratitude. Don't wait. Start now congratulating all the kids after the game. Start now moving away from the dugout, the sideline, the bench, hovering. Start now and move out away from the team, out into the outfield, down the line, away from the parents that are negative or parents that maybe bring out the negative in us. So I thought those three really stood out. One, stop comparing. This is something that we all could likely work on as parents of athletes, baseball players, but also as parents in general. Be low maintenance. And you could even sell this to the parents of your players if you're the coach. You could say it like this. The lower maintenance you are, the more likely I will be to consider or to listen intently to what you're saying, your concern, when you bring it to me. When I have a low maintenance parent come to me, something's probably out of whack here, needs to be adjusted, needs to be addressed. And you could say it to the parents of the team. You could say it like this, hey, I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to disregard what you share with me just because you come up to me a lot. But low maintenance parents, when they come to me with a concern or an issue, that will move to the top of the list outside of injury concerns or health concerns or bullying or disrespect concerns. They'll move to the top of the I need to take care of this list. So be low maintenance. And number nine, start now. That's a great motto for life. Just start now. One last tip, coaches, to the parents of your players, to the team's parents, you could say, some of you have been vocal. Some of you have maybe been a bit on the negative side in the past. Maybe you've been on teams that parents sat around and talked poorly or rudely about the coaches or questioned everything or had a bad kind of culture amongst the group in the bleachers or in the chairs sitting down the line and say, let's start this season. Let's make this season the season where we focus every time we're out here on being low-maintenance parents, supportive, positive parents that don't compare, and parents that are just here to add to the fun and to the experience, not subtract. Let's start this season. Let's start right now. Let's start this week. Let's start this season. If it hasn't been something you've already been doing, let's be part of the solution, not part of the youth sports problem. So I think that article was really good. Recommend you go read the rest of it over at Jamie Bechler. 
Betchamy.com, J-A-M-Y, Betchler.com. All right, now we're going to dive into part one of my interview with a good buddy of mine I've known for a lot of years, played ball with at Long Beach State, even drove across the country with him. Well, technically not in the same car. We followed each other all the way across the country from Long Beach, California, all the way to Florida, him in his car, myself in my car, walkie-talkies. This was before cell phones were a thing. Well, if you had them, you were like Gordon Gecko. But for minor league players like Mike and I at the time, that was off the table. We couldn't afford the minutes because I remember at that time, my cell phone, again, text messages were janky. There was no internet on phones. And I got about 250 minutes a month total. So Mike and I got walkie-talkies, and we drove all the way across the country, Interstate 10, all the way across, and had a great time. And so I've known Mike a long time. He's got a lot of great information to share from his perspective of having played baseball for a long time, from being parent, having gone through this stage that all of us are in right now, and as somebody who gives private lessons. I know that's a topic that comes up in the questions I get from listeners, questions about private lessons, etc., so part one today of the interview, part two will be next week. Speaking of next week, I always like to add something to our interviews and I'm going to share out two specific tips that we should use and definitely can use as coaches to increase the likelihood that our players will lead, that our players will take what we've set forth, expectations, rules, standards, and run with them and use them to get the other players on board. So I will share two specific tips next week regarding that. All right, now for the interview. All right, I am here with Mike Hofius. Mike and I go back a long time, and I'm really excited to have you with us, Mike. How are you doing today? You know, Bo, I'm doing great. I am so happy to be on your show. I'm an avid listener. I spread the word. I try to get my buddies out here on the West Coast to, to listen. I, there's a lot of great insight, and hey, if I can help out a little bit, I'm glad to do so. That's good to hear, Mike. We talk a lot about baseball and you're going through a lot of the same things that the listeners are going through and you got your own kids that are in youth sports. You obviously played a lot. And before we get into your tips and recommendations for the listeners and, and some of your advice and things you've learned over the years and trying to give back to the baseball community, the youth baseball community, maybe you could just share with the listeners a synopsis of your background story and how it's led you to this point in your life or as a lifelong baseball person also and as a parent of youth athletes and also the coaching that you're doing now. When I was eight years old, I loved, loved playing baseball. I stunk at it. When I was nine, I stunk some more. When I was 10, I wasn't very good. When I was 11, I wasn't very good, but I really loved to play. I mean, we played wiffle ball, stick ball, whatever. We always had a bat and ball in our hand. When I was 12, I, I did make the, our Little League All-Star team, but I didn't play. And then back then you do little league. So from little league to pony league, that the pitcher would be a little bit further back. And then you start to grow. I got a little bit better. And then I think just, I was one of those late bloomers per se. So baseball didn't get easier when I got older, but it got a little more fun because you get bigger and stronger. And all of a sudden you run into a ball here and there and you're like, Hey, wow, this is really fun. And then you want to repeat that. You want to feel that same feeling. And so you work really hard to replicate that. And yeah, I just think that for the listeners on this podcast, I mean, I'm a big proponent of getting the kids to want to keep playing the game until they get bigger and stronger because it does, like I said, it doesn't get easier, but it gets way more fun. You know, you learn the fundamentals when you're a little guy and then you get big and strong and you give yourself a chance to be successful. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. So for what I was when I started and you know, how my deal played out, I'd take it. It was great. I got to meet uh, phenomenal people. I got to play for phenomenal coaches, fantastic teammates. Obviously you're one of them. 
I'd love to speak about you for a quick bit. You just tell your listeners because you're not going to do it. But Bo, <laughs> you were a great teammate. You were always a student of the game because you were on the pitching side and I was on the hitting side. It was kind of neat because I'd sit in the dugout with you and you're like, hey, what, what do you think he's trying to do right there? And you'd always kind of challenge not only me, but the rest of the guys, right? And you get us to think and it helped me kind of understand like, hey, if I'm going to be a successful hitter, I got to know what the pitcher's thinking. Right. Not just go up there. You know, a lot of times we go up there at the plate, you kind of flip a coin, right? Heads, I get a hit, tails, I stink. Right. And that's <laughs> our didn't think that, but hey, I go up to the plate, heads, I get a hit, tails, I stink. And then it's like this I'm looking at the coin, like, oh, thank goodness, I got a hit. Thank goodness. I'm good for the rest of the day. Right. And then I remember you always kind of challenge us, like, hey, what do you think he's trying to do right here? Like, if I'm in this situation and I got it running on second base and you're up to the plate, it's like you have these aha moments. Right. So you were really good at that. And like I said, just you're always, willing to give up your knowledge. And so I just appreciated that. And I think if there are more people like that, we would all be better. I think we try to we try to hold on to what we have and you were never like that. So I just I wanted to let your listeners know, I really appreciate that. And you know what, that's why this thing's successful right now, right? Because you have this information, you're trying to get it out. And so yeah. thank you. Well, hey, you're welcome, Mike. And I think what you're saying is kind of where the origins of this podcast and the mission 8020 came from giving out what you can because you want to leave the youth baseball community in a better place you want it to grow you want to give back and so you come from a very you grew up in an area that is i mean literally called sports town usa lakewood california and lakewood is home to many ex-major league and current major league players in baseball in Lakewood, California is second to none. So you grew up in an area where youth sports was at a super high level and growing up in the nineties and high school, you graduated 2000, but all the way through the nineties, Lakewood and even the eighties, I mean, Lakewood was the who's who in youth sports. You understand very competitive youth sports. And I want the listeners to know like, Hey, Mike's coming from a place that every team that you played against and literally probably had one player that was going to be a future division one or division two player, but probably a future pro guy on every single team. So you have a lot of experience there. You're now on the parents side. When you play youth sports, was there anything that stood out as something that was a positive? What was some of the positives of playing youth sports for you that you would like to share with the listeners that are a lot of dads and some moms that they can always keep in mind as they're going out there and trying to lead the, the youngsters they are? Yeah, great point. I think one of the biggest things, college scholarships wasn't even a wasn't even on in our lexicon, right? Like it wasn't even something mm -hmm. that was talked about. It was just you go and play, and you go and play until the lights came on, and then you better better get your butt home or else you, you got problems. You played football, you played basketball. I mean, we played hockey. We were always playing sports, but there was there were a lot of uh, people that came out of the Lakewood High. They've had two coaches in the last hundred years. Coach Herbert um, and Coach O'Neill. I think this year was his 40th year um, there. And he's been very successful, but it's because of the the youth coaches and the and, and the programs underneath them that kind of funneled. So when the kids showed up on campus, they, they knew how to play. I will say that with the travel ball scene and, and, and things like that, you're you're not seeing that anymore. It's just a, it's a different landscape. But I would say that the the college scholarship talk at 10 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, it wasn't a thing. You just you went out there and you played. And you worked hard and you got better and you're always trying to seek knowledge, right? When you're playing with guys that are really good, you watch what they do and you try to mimic them, right? And so when you have a lot of guys to mimic from, you're naturally going to get better if, if you're working hard on it and you're trying to replicate what they do. You hit on something really important, this talk about 
scholarships and it's always been there, but it was like maybe one kid's parents in the entire league, you'd overhear him, you know, chatting about, yeah, he's going to, you know, we want him to go to, you know, Stanford or USC or Long Beach State when he was like 11 years old, but really nobody talked about that stuff. But you're hearing a lot about that now. And I, I, I think that's something you make a really good point, or you bring up a topic that's very important that we need to be very careful with as youth coaches and youth parents about getting ahead of ourselves. Let's enjoy the moment and of course, having a plan for the future is not a bad idea, but planning at your kid's youth career, or I should say sports career, when they're 11 or 12, or even 13 years old, 14 years old, thinking of college is crazy. And I think you bring up a good point there. Is there another thing that you're seeing in youth baseball from the coaches, from parents that you see as a big mistake out there or something that could be a lot better? Yeah, let me start off by saying this. So I have, I have a, a 15-year-old boy and a, and a 12-year-old girl, and I'm saying this right now. I get it. It's hard. It's hard when you're to, to go out there and, and not get super excited when you're, your kids out there and when they're performing well. And then obviously when they, when they struggle, I, I have, let me kind of put this into context. So my daughter, she does singing lessons, right? And she loves to sing and she loves to perform. And so they, they have these events where she, she'll go on stage and she performs in front of all these folks. Right. And I look around the crowd and all the adults and, and, and stuff. And I'm like, there's no way in heck that you know, most of these adults would go up on stage and do what they're doing, right? So whether she sounds like Celine Dion or she sounds like nails on a chalkboard, the fact that she's going up there on a stage and performing is something that a lot of us parents wouldn't do. So I think we got to give them grace and say, wow, you know what, you're doing something that I would get nervous doing or I would have a hard time doing. And I think just embracing that and then let the results worry about themselves. Obviously, I, I think she's leans a little more towards the Celine Dion side, but that's because I'm her dad, right? But you know what I'm saying? But I think that, like, can we just step back and be like, you know what? You only get these kids for a short amount of time. You better enjoy it. And I'm speaking to myself when I say that, right? You better enjoy it because it's going to go by quick. And you don't want to have this animosity. It's like, oh, you didn't get a scholarship. So, or on the flip side, I see a lot of these kids that are like D1 or bust. So they don't get to go to a D1 school. They stop playing. It's like, really? Like, play as long as you can. Go get an education. I look on Instagram. I see these some of these complexes and these these schools. They're D two and and NAIA and whatnot, and they're phenomenal setups. Why would you not want to go wear the uniform as long as you can? Get an education. You're gonna meet some of your best friends in life, right? You yep. might meet your wife there. I met my wife in high school, so that that didn't work. You know that that didn't play into my deal. But and Lindsay's staring at me right now, so Lindsay's the best wife I could ever ask for. So I just want to give her a shout out. Yeah, I can attest to that. I'll second that. Hey, so to, so I think that there's only one Derek Jeter that had that awesome send off, right? Where he's walking around town and everybody's tipping <laughs> the cap, right? There's only one Derek Jeter. So you know what? Yep. Enjoy it. Play the game as long as you can until until there's a point where you have to take the uniform off. Because you know what? It's a great game. It's a great game. And you can learn so many life lessons from it, right? I think this D1 or bus thing is is you're missing out on an opportunity and plus kids if you're gonna if you're gonna work hard if you're gonna put all this work in just to stop it's like come on let's go let's keep playing keep playing as long as you can get an education and you know what no one will take that away from you you know and you're sitting around and you're helping out when the kids now become adults and they help their kids and they say they played college baseball you know it's the same game i don't care if you say it's d1 d2 d whatever it's it's college baseball you played at a level that not a lot of kids got to play at don't just settle for the, oh, it's D1 or bus. Go play as long as you can because there's a real world out there and it's waiting for you. I say just be a kid as long as you can.
it's great to have somebody like you on, Mike, that that's in the same position as most all the listeners. You have the kids you've and you've just kind of come through it too. They have really acute experience in you and it's very in the moment for you. It's something that is happening right now. But you also had a successful baseball career yourself. Played Division One at Long Beach State, and that's where I played with Mike. It's a you know high quality program. He played professional baseball, was drafted. So you've been on that side of it, and now you've been on this side of it. So it's really great to have you come on and share different perspectives because you're coming at it from somebody who did have a lot of success in baseball, but you're also taking a step back and keeping it in perspective, what really is important. And what I always tell the listeners on the show here is your kids, we want them to have a lot of fun and success, but they're not going to have any of that if they quit. They're not going to get anything out of it if they quit. Once they quit, there's no benefit, zero benefit. So it's better to have small benefits. Maybe it's not a long career. Maybe it's not a scholarship, but there's always going to be benefits of playing youth sports that can get them ready for life. And so I think that's something that is really great to hear from you. So you can kind of share it in a different way and and kind of use different words to share with the listeners. So Mike, before we move forward to the next question, is there, is there another mistake, a, a key mistake you're seeing youth baseball parents making these days that you'd recommend they try to avoid? Yeah. I think the biggest mistake is, and especially for us dads, is when we live five minutes away from the ball field, but it takes us 45 minutes to get home because we want to have that long conversation with our son or daughter after their performance. Mm-hmm. At that point, they're not even listening. They're on to the next thing, but we're still you know, fired up because of the way they played or the mistake they made or whatever. And I think just there's a time and place and probably right after the game is not the time or place to have that conversation. That's a good one. Yeah, that's something we haven't ever brought up on here, just the post-game discussions and how to go about it. Yeah, and you know what? That's really great because, you know, I got a kid, but she's six. She hasn't kind of gone through this. I was thinking about, as you were saying that, about how I could be better after, like, her soccer jujitsu practices. Of course, she's young, but still, I, I see what you're saying. That's, you want to break things down. You want to discuss it. And she's already like, hey, Dad, where, where, can we get some ice cream? Right. So that's a great message. So I know you're not coaching a team necessarily right now, but you do work. You do train athletes, hitters specifically, baseball players. So you're still in it. You haven't left it. You've been in it for probably 37 years now. You haven't left. So you're definitely attuned to this. What are a few recommendations for youth coaches that would help them get better buy-in or build better rapport in a genuine way with their players. Like you see, you've had bad coaches. We've had good coaches. What are a few things that you think youth coaches could use? What are some tactics or, or strategies they could use to help build better authentic rapport with their players? Yeah. Well, this goes back to, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And I forget whose quote this is, but you know, no one cares how much, you know, until you know how much you care right? You're not going to get the most out of your players unless you genuinely care about them, but then they know that you care about them. You could be the best coach in the world, but if you don't care and they know you don't care, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. So I think the first and foremost, you know, it goes back to my old, the old company I used to work for their, their motto was this, it was take care of your employees. They'll take care of their customers and then the profits will follow. Right? So Mm -hmm. you take care of your people first and then you'll get the results you want. But if you if you're worried about the result or if I'm running a business, I'm just worried about the profits first and you're going to have some heartaches between you and your employees and your employees and the customer. So I kind of take that stance and say, hey, you know what? I got to first get to know my players and I get to get to 
know who they are and how what makes them tick. And I might talk to I have I might have three players and I might talk to each of them differently because this one he needs a a kick in the pants and this guy over here needs a a pat on the back. And so you have to understand who they are so that you could articulate in a way that they understand it. Delivering the message in a way that resonates with each player might be it might be different. It might be the same. I think the best coaches can share a message that resonates and builds rapport with a, a lot of the players or even all the players. But at the end of the day, you have to understand the player. Like you said, they don't care what you know until they know you care. Yes. And that's a big one. And I think your example of, you know, hey, we got to make more profit. No, no. What we got to do is the next step would be like, we got to take care of our customers. Yeah. No, no. The first step we got to do is take care of our team here, of the employees of the team within the business. And then they'll take care of the customers and then the customers will take care of the profit. Yes. That's a great example of a lot of the listeners, most of these listeners, and this is why I started the show, Mike, was for dads and some moms, but mostly dads that are have day jobs that are not baseball related. They work in all different industries, all different walks of life. That's why I think it's always good to bring examples from, especially the business world or family or outside of baseball. Everybody can connect and use those as an example to help us better understand what we should be doing out there on the baseball field. So what are a few specific tips you think would help players be better prepared for high school tryouts? So kids got high school tryouts coming up and this doesn't necessarily have to just be for eighth graders. This could be for seventh graders as parents. Of course, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but if the player wants to continue their career, they need to make sure that they're ready for, for high school. So seventh and eighth grade, not a bad time probably to start kind of thinking about what it is now that shouldn't change their game a whole lot, but what are a couple of things you think would help players be better prepared for high school tryouts? Maybe something that's overlooked that could make a difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you said it. What is it? Failure is prepares preparation for failure, right? So if you're not prepared, you're preparing to fail. So if I'm in eighth grade and let's say I'm a shortstop, right? I'm not, I'm left-handed, always wanted to be a shortstop, but you know, that's for another podcast, but let's say I'm a shortstop and I'm in eighth grade and I'm going to go to XYZ high school. Well, I want to know who my competition is now. Who's going to be going there? Who's going to walk on campus? And who are the shortstops that are going there, right? And let's say I know Johnny's going there next year and he's a really good shortstop. Well, then I don't have a choice but to outwork him now, right? I have to do everything I can to be better than him. And let's say he's really good and I'm I'm pretty good, right? He's, he's better than I am. Okay, well, if I work just as hard as Johnny, that gap's going to be the same. Right. And so I think knowing who your competition is before, right now, all of a sudden, like when I'm sitting there playing on my Xbox or my PS5 or whatever, it's like, "Mm, maybe I should, you know, do something productive. You kind of have that target of I got to be better than Johnny. And now there's something like it's just going to keep you motivated to keep working. I would even say this. Let's say, Bo, let's say you're my competition. Right. And and I have to do everything I can to to beat you. I want to beat you at nutrition. I want to beat you at working out. I want to beat you at hitting my target when I'm playing catch. I want to beat you at being a better teammate, everything. So I would, I challenge my kids and I, and they hate me for saying this. And they always look right at their dad when I say this, cause like, did you talk to him before? But I challenged him. I said, Hey, from now today on you owe yourself, not me. Cause you don't owe me anything. You owe, you owe yourself a hundred pushups a day. Now I make them do 10. Now they do 10. And then I, you know, they get up and I said, did you die? And they're like, no. I was like, oh, was it a little uncomfortable? Yeah. Okay. So now if you started your morning and you wake up, let's say they wake up at seven to go to school, right? And you do 10. 
and then you you eat and you did, you did 10 more. And let's say you, you did 25 before you left for school. And then in PE, you did 25. And then right after school, you did 10 and then 10. And then all of a sudden you do 100 a day. Well, that's 3,000 push-ups a month. That's 36,000 push-ups a year. And so now you tell me if I'm an eighth grader going, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in eighth grade this year and I do 36,000 push-ups between today and my freshman tryout, am I going to be a better athlete? Am I going to be better? Am I going to have a better performance? You're darn right I am, right? So mm -hmm. it's not, what can I do because I have tryouts next week? It's like, no, 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 that, the, the tryouts were last year. You got to put yourself in a situation to be successful. So if there are kids out there, I would say, hey, if you do 100 push-ups a day, and I'm not saying 100 in a row, I'm saying just do 10 and then take a break and then 10 and then 10. All of a sudden, you know that after two weeks, it's going to get easier. Now, the hard part is, is the discipline and doing it, right? It's really easy to sit on the couch. It's not that difficult to do your push-ups, to do 10 and then do 10 more and then do 10 more. So I, I think that if you have kind of like that long-term, if you're goal-oriented and you do that, you're like I said, 36,000 push-ups, well, you're going to be stronger and you're probably going to bump that number up, right? And I, then I work it backwards. It's like, hey, if you did 100 push-ups a day starting last year, would you have had a better season last year? Yeah, because you would have hit the ball harder. You would have been stronger, you know, the whole deal. So I just think that your your high school tryout starts now, whether you're in sixth grade, seventh grade, right? What are you doing now to put yourself in a position to be successful then, right? Because what you do today has a huge impact on what happens tomorrow, and that's life, right? The decisions I make today are going to dictate what happens to me tomorrow. You actually got me thinking of a couple of things. I, I think that message is really good, Mike, for players that are a little bit more or more on the lazy side or a little less self-driven, that extra little drive can come from just thinking, wait, I want to play on the baseball team in my high school. I want to make the team. I want to start on the team. Or this could even be for like, hey, I want to play next year. I want to be the starting shortstop for next year for my 11U team in the community. And you start thinking, or you maybe use that motivation, that the thinking as motivation of, the other person, the other players are probably working right now. They're working on this. They're probably getting better. And that's really good motivation for those that are just sitting around and think that it's just going to be handed to them or that it's just going to be something of luck or they're just going to show up and it's going to be what it's going to be, but rather going, wait, they're probably out working. So I need to be working yeah. now for those self-driven players. I don't think that's really as necessary, but I do think for those lazy players that want to sit there and play video games all day, but then expect to make the freshman team at high school and then be the starting shortstop, they probably need to realize and be very clear that the other players are training and that's a healthy way to motivate themselves to be better. And then starting early, I like your idea of starting early for whatever it is. And I talk about players getting ready for the spring season. Most seasons for baseball are spring. Some are summer in those wintry and cold weather areas, but it's usually spring or summer. And I say, you know what, you should start your physical training, your strength training, your legs and getting stronger in September or October. You don't want to wait until February to start doing that. So I think starting early, having a plan early on, and then you can do what I thought you made a great point of spreading out the reps a little bit more. Now you talked about pushups and I think what you're talking about with pushups is absolutely golden advice for everything in life, for any habit or anything is break it into small chunks because those are easier to go after. They're not going to dissuade you from wanting to do it. They're going to be a lot easier to get motivated for when you say 10 pushups, that's a lot easier to talk yourself into than a hundred or even 50 or even 30 pushups. I love that advice. I've been using it for years on myself and that's really been the the premise of, or I should say the foundation of my mindset to really get me to where I'm at and just being so much healthier than I've ever been. So I think spreading out the reps, think about like hitting, 
right? So this is a good tip that you got me thinking about, and you got to share me your thoughts on this, Mike. I'm going to say it real quick, and you give me your thoughts. You got a parent that's like, ah, I just I don't have the time to take my kid out to the field for two hours. Okay, what if you can be efficient with it? How's what's the the closest place to get fifty good swings in, or what's the fastest way to get fifty good throws in, or what's the fastest way to get fifty ground balls in right now? And could all of that be done in thirty minutes? Is there an efficient way? to get that done and say, hey, can we just do 30 minutes every day? Because I think as a parent, when I'm sitting on a couch tired at the end of the day and my daughter says, hey, let's go do this. I can always tell her like, hey, yeah, let's go do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I can just do it for 30 minutes, it's a lot easier than saying, oh man, three hours at the park again. Right. Because eventually that stops happening. What are your thoughts on, on that approach? Yeah, I mean, quality, not quantity, right? Better to have the quality swings, the quality ground balls, quality throws versus the quantity. You go to any hitting facility and you see that the youth, the teams that are out there and 17 pitches fed to them by a pitching machine. Let's go quality. Like you said, let's go 15 minutes of ground balls and let's, or, and then let's, let's go hit off the, you know, hit bow net and the tee or, or flip, right? And at least you're getting, get something quality, right? Versus three hours, let's go drag a L screen and throw it in the back of mom's van and run it to the park and now the park's full and it's it's a tiring task right but if you can just get a if you just get a little bit better every day right by taking your ground balls 15 minutes right taking your hacks obviously that's on top of your regular practices and stuff right now all of a sudden those 15 minutes are like those push-ups they add up yep so that's the biggest thing and if you do it if you're doing it daily right i'm in sales and so i have to have for every like 10 customers that i go see let's say nine of them say no well, I know that if I go see 10 customers, I know I'm going to get one, right? And sometimes my numbers are a little bit better, sometimes a little worse. But I know for every 10, I'm going to get one, right? So what's my strategy? Well, if I see 100, I'm going to get 10, right? I know I know the number. So I have to just, I work it backwards. So it's like, I know that, hey, if I need to take 15 minutes a day on my swing or, or 30 minutes for my swing and ground balls, then and I'm going to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. All of a sudden, going back to that a year from now, I'm going to be a lot better. I give the example when I'm talking to these kids. When you look in the mirror every day, you look exactly the same, right? And so what happens is these kids are like, I'm not getting better or I this, that, da, 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 da. I said, but if you went back and let's say you're in ninth grade and you look back and you showed me your third grade picture, like I'd know it was you, but you look completely different, right? But if you look at yourself in the mirror every day, you look exactly the same, right? And so sometimes you got to keep progressing forward, but then look back and be like, oh, wow, you know, I have come a long way. That'll give you the confidence, right? Hey, you know, I have gotten better when you're doing the day-to-day, you don't, you don't see the results all the time. That goes kind of with that trusting the process you hear a lot yeah. of people talking about. And, you know, I think the trusting the process and just working the process is a good message. I'm also kind of big on a little bit of a different spin on it. It's like, hey, you, you work the process, but don't fully trust the process. You always want to test the process by looking at the results, but not every week, not every two weeks, but over a longer period of time, like you're talking about. Let's say you did 30 minutes of hitting, 30 minutes of hitting, which is probably plenty of hitting every day. That would be 11,000 minutes a year, 11,000 minutes. If you just did 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. What about the athlete I heard or a baseball player I heard talking about, he said he struck out after the strikeout. He said, now I'm just one at back closer to my next home run. Isn't that the right way to think about it, right? He's right. Because, you know, if you look at the most strikeouts in, MLB history was it like Bobby Bonds, you, you know, I mean, good hitters strike out. What, what do you mean? Well, cause they play good hitters yep. play all the time. And so it's part of it. But now if you can at least not, you're not, again, going back to my 
heads I get a hit, tails I stink. If you're just like tails, tails, I stink, I stink, I stink, I stink, right? You're not even putting yourself in the position to be successful because you're worried about that last at bat. So I like that approach where it's like, hey, um, obviously he didn't want to strike out, but he's, he's getting closer to his next home run. Speaking of home runs, I recently saw you hit a home run on a video. I think it went viral on Twitter. Was that the alumni game at Lakewood? Was that J.P. Crawford? Tell me about that. I saw you hit a, a that was a nice stroke, by the way. At 40 years old, you still you still got a beautiful left-handed swing. You know, it's funny. Yeah, so there was a, somebody was there. It was Coach O'Neill's 40th year. So they had all these people there. And one of the kids was videoing it. And he made a TikTok video. And I didn't know about it. And all of a sudden, my phone was blowing up. And then my dad calls me. He goes, hey grandma sent this to me and then the caption was mikey's put on some pounds <laughs> so yeah it was, it was it was fun but yeah jp crawford was there darno was there i'm trying to think there was a uh, shane watson matt duffy and uh, mike carp uh-huh. mike carp was on that red sox team that won and i think uh, i can't remember what year it was but uh oh eight or something like that but anyway yeah my kids were there so they thought it was pretty cool but yeah it was funny how the, how that went around went around town for a little while All right, we're going to stop the interview right there. Part two, next week, Mike's going to share out some great thoughts on topics that are relevant to all of us again next week. So make sure you check in next Tuesday for next week's episode coming out every Tuesday. And I'll share those two tips that we can use, that we should use. In my opinion, we must use if we want players to help us lead the team, which is ideal. So until next week. Take care of yourselves, your health, take care of that health, your families, of course, your close friends, or at least those friends that are there for you. And take this out there, take out this information that we talked about, that Mike and I talked about, and put it into action. Put it into your plan. Take it out to the field and use it. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field. 